0: Time for our scripture reading. Uh, If you'd like to follow along, uh, New Testament, uh, page 187, Galatians, verse 1, chapter 10, and the second part will be page 94, John. Verse 3, chapters 25 through 30. I am now seeking human approval or God's approval, or am I trying to please people? If I were still pleasing people, I would not be a servant of Christ. Now a discussion about purification arose between John's disciples and a Jew. They came to John and said to him, Rabbi, the one who was, who was with you across the Jordan, to whom you testified, here he is baptizing, and all are going to him. John answered, No one can receive anything except what has been given from heaven. You yourselves are my witnesses that I said, I am not the Messiah. But I have been sent ahead of him. He who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. For this reason, my joy has been fulfilled. He must increase, but I must decrease.
1: Well, I I knew it must be a week that we're going to talk about joy, because it felt like every single day, a lot of painful, difficult things were coming up with people um, I had contact with this week, whether it was um, bad health diagnosis or or mysterious, uh, you better get to the hospital and do a checkup tomorrow, um, or... uh, car accidents, or all sorts of surprising things that would probably lead us in any direction besides joy, but yet we've got to talk about joy today. We've been going through a series called Growing Up, looking at Paul and his letter to the Galatians, where he's asking for them to get into God's Spirit, to grow roots deep down so that they might mature and develop uh, with the fruit of the Spirit. Things like love and this week, joy. And so God, Paul is calling us to a life of, of, of spirit focus that grows up into these things. And it might seem a little bit strange that we're, we're going to sidestep for a minute uh, and go to the Gospel of John for a little bit. Uh, but I wanted to, to really dig into something that Paul says at the beginning of his letter, which I think we can get lost in the fact that he's so frustrated and and not pleased with the way things are going in the churches of Galatia. Uh, how they've quickly deserted him, how they, they're questioning whether he's even an apostle. They're starting to, to think that they've got to do all these things to be a Christian. And it might have been an easy time to have gotten depressed and to have turned away. But Paul starts his letter with saying this, what did we just read, Am I now seeking human approval or God's approval? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still pleasing people, I would not be a servant of Christ. And so I think for Paul, his joy is rooted so deep into God's spirit that even when those bad days come and and people are against him and things aren't going the way that he had planned them, his life isn't kind of lived at the whim of other people's responses. And so I think that the Gospel of John gives us a very special model, glimpse, example of that kind of nugget, that that truth that's lying there in Paul's letter to the Galatians. And so um, maybe you might recognize this context in John 3. It starts out saying, now a discussion about purification arose between John's disciples and a Jew. Now, it doesn't have to be a Jewish discussion about purification. Uh, We talked a few weeks back about how Christians also do our own to do list of here's exactly the right way to do things or the wrong way to do things. And they're arguing about what's the right way to do things, just like they were in Galatia. And into that context of purification arguments, John is going to share with us about the fruit of joy. So, what's the problem? Yeah, there's this discussion of purification, but somebody comes up with some juicy gossip. They come up with some news to share with John, and they want to see how John's going to react, what's his response going to be. They came to John and said to him, Rabbi, the one who was with you across the Jordan to whom you testified, he's over there baptizing, and all people are going to him. You know that person you trained up? You can imagine you're an employer. You trained up this guy to be an electrician and he's, he's working for you and the next thing you know, he's down the street working for himself and all the clients are running to this new guy? John, everybody's running to Jesus and his baptism ministry over there. What's going on? You know, I, I guess Jesus didn't sign a, a non-complete, non-compete clause <laughs> with his baptism ministry. You know, you, you, you go to your company and you say, you know, Uh, I promise, when I leave, I'm not going to immediately go and and work for a competitor. And so John's crowd doesn't like it that Jesus has his own baptism ministry going on, and even worse, that all people are going to him. It's one thing for you to do that baptism ministry over there, but how dare you that everybody's flocking to him? And that might seem a little peculiar from our perspective, that Jesus' gains are our own failures and that we're kind of in competition with whatever Jesus is doing over there. But sometimes we live that way. Sometimes the world looks and pursues its own desires, its own flesh, more than the Spirit of God that's at work. And we get into this comparison game. Uh, Now, I've heard this quote attributed to Mark Twain a lot. You can go online, you search. Mark Twain said this, right? I can't find a single book reference for this, so I can't prove or promise, Mark Twain wrote this, but something in the nugget of what is said, I think, speaks to people, and that is that comparison is the death of joy. And I think that that statement speaks so meaningfully to some people that, like, I don't care who said it, I'm going to keep passing this statement on. And that's something about when I compare myself with other people, Suddenly, life doesn't look as good as it did before. I started that comparison game. Now, I threw something out last week. If you remember, uh, if you were here last week, if you weren't, um, I I did some news Google news searches for stories on love because we were doing the fruit of the spirit on love. And one of those stories was: Can fish experience love and emotions? And that was my goofy kind of example as one of the news stories. Well, there's actually a really interesting thing about how that one worked. They put a a female fish in a tank, and they put some like plexiglass or something in between it, and they put two different male fish on either side of it. So there's one fish on one side, one fish on the other. And whichever side the fish kind of gravitated towards, whatever mate she wanted, they did an experiment. Half of them, they let them take that mate, and the other half, they forced them to be with the other fish that they didn't choose. And what they found was, they put these, these boxes of food, containers of food in there, one with a black lid, one with a white lid. Every time you went to the white lid box, you got food. Every time you went to the black lid box, there was no food. Well, they introduced a gray box. And if you didn't get the mate you wanted, you were more pessimistic, and you didn't try out the gray box, you assumed there's no food there. But the ones that got the mate that they wanted, tried it out. Maybe there might be food there. And sure enough, there was food. And so they, they were looking at this and saying, seeing how they could kind of heartbreak, so to speak. You know, that, that losing out on that choice that you had would hurt you and you couldn't be as optimistic going forward. But I think that we, we can do some similar things. It's not just fish. When we start comparing ourselves and thinking about what we didn't get and what others got... Uh, Research has shown that comparison leads to feelings of envy, low self-confidence, depression. It reduces our ability to trust others. And comparing yourselves, sometimes you feel tempted of, oh, here's a good time to compare myself, of, oh, at least my life isn't this. And you compare yourself to people less fortunate. As if to get a little high off of, well, at least I'm not in that bad situation. But the cost of such little reward is that you're deriving your pleasure from other people's failures and misfortunes, and eventually it leads to a life where you start competing more and more. Because i got to make sure more people are below me so I can still keep that feeling of self-worth, because I've put it in the fact that I'm above somebody else. And so that comparison game leads us nowhere that we want to go. And I think John gives a different perspective on life and on joy, and it starts here the origin of it. John answered the people that came to him and he said, "No one can receive anything except what has been given from heaven." So for John everything is a gift. It wasn't earned. It's a blessing. It's something to be grateful for. When I'm when everything is a gift, I stop demanding and I'm grateful. I stop feeling entitled. When everything's a gift, you open yourselves up to a path of joy, which has a different perspective on life. And here's how that perspective plays out. John tells tells them, You yourselves are my witnesses that I said, I'm not the Messiah, but I've been sent ahead of him. He who has the bride is the bridegroom, the friend of the bridegroom, who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. For this reason, my joy has been fulfilled. He must increase, but I must decrease. How many people want to go about their lives where every day is, it's my wedding day. I need it my way. Everybody else better fall in line. It's my special day. There's a lot of wrestling with that when you're raising little kids. But sometimes we we keep that around with us into our adult years as well. Do you see life as your big wedding celebration? Or are you just joyous to be a part of it? You're the friend who can rejoice at your other friends' blessings, at their good news, at their celebration day, and filled with joy for them. So which friend are we? Are we that, that joy-killing friend? You know the joy-killing friend. You got good news, somehow they turn it into bad news. They've got a gift at that, Right? It's good news turns into criticism. It it comes into oh, I have an an even better story. Here's how I even have better news than your news. You they second guess your news. Um, Someone close to me, when they were in high school, uh, they had a competition at their school, some sort of dental clinic or somebody put on this best smile competition. And they won from their, their school, and they were going to compete with some of the other schools. And the whole time they're going to dress shop for the special occasion, their mother was asking, Now, are you sure you won? You? Maybe you've had that person. Maybe they weren't so close in your family. Maybe they were a friend or a coworker. But that person that just took all of the joy out of the room. And you can kind of test to know if you're that friend by how other people tell you stories. Do they start out like, oh yeah, did, did we talk about that? I, I told you about that one, right? Uh, oh, oh yeah, did you hear about... It's like secondhand stories, stories. Like, maybe that's some safety. Uh, I'm not coming to you with the news that I'm excited to share. It's like, oh well, yeah, I guess I'll talk about this news with you. And give yourself some, some security by distancing yourself from it. Or are you that joyful friend? Hey, guess what? Guess what I just did? Guess what just happened? Because when people are going to you with that, they're celebrating with you, and you're someone who they can celebrate with. Which friend are you? Are you that the one that squelches the joy or the one that is so joyful that we can't help but want to share those good news, those stories with? Because there's no non-compete clause in the kingdom of God, because our joy doesn't depend on winning or increasing at the expense of others We are all in this together in God's community. Many of you probably know Desmond Tutu, a famous South African uh, bishop with the Church of England. If you haven't ever heard him, you might have read some things that he's done or read his works. Uh, if If you're inclined to the Internet and you want to YouTube Desmond Tutu laughing, he's just got that laugh that you want to laugh along with him. And you think despite facing apartheid, despite facing uh, such ugly racism and violence and pain, helping people to find joy, uh, he wrote a book, uh, he co-wrote a book actually with the Dalai Lama, where they both wrote, people have come out of a lot of pain, uh, who value joy. But he said this, he said, the path of joy is connection, and the path of sorrow is separation. When we see others as separate, they become a threat. When we see others as a part of us, as connected, as interdependent, then there is no challenge we can't face together. Do we see the world around us and we start comparing and start picking you out as a competitor, or are you and us, a we, a, a joint part of the same mission? Your joy comes from being faithful to God and to your calling. A reminder of what Paul said, Am I now seeking human approval or God's approval? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still pleasing people, I would not be a servant of Christ. Our kingdom is not one of comparison, of us versus them, of jealousy, of strife, of competition. It's a community of joy for each other, rooted in a joyful God. We often don't get that joyful God image. Most of our paintings are very reverential, very somber. You don't often get the joy uh, that you see throughout Jesus' ministry. And when I was trying to think about how people move past that competitiveness, that comparison to something that unifies, uh, I couldn't help but think about uh, a famous speech. Maybe you've seen uh, Jimmy Valvano, Jimmy V., in his famous 1993 uh, speech at the ESPN Awards, the ESPYs. Now, Jimmy V was a basketball coach with Rutgers in college, and he was facing very, very heavy, hard challenges in 1993. Um, He was in the midst of a fight with cancer that about a month after that award show would take his life. And if you can imagine being at that end of your journey, And he's giving a speech, and as award shows do, they start giving you that, hey, you need to close it down. And Jimmy V responds, that screen is flashing up there 30 seconds. Like, I care about that screen right now, huh? (laughs) I got tumors all over my body, and I'm worried about some guy in the back going 30 seconds. Not caring about the approval of the people in the room, that there's something bigger i got to talk about here. And right after he said that, he said, I just got one last thing. I urge all of you all of you to enjoy your life, the precious moments you have, to spend each day with some laughter and some thought and to get your emotions going, to be enthusiastic every day. And as Ralph Waldo Emerson said, nothing great can be accomplished without enthusiasm. And so he, he kind of closes with, what I would like to be able to do is spend whatever time I have left and give some hope to others. And then he discussed his work starting that cancer uh, uh, foundation to support research and so despite uh, you know reading the room hey this speech is going too long despite being in a room of people he competed with right? I mean that's part of what's fun is all these people that you've competed with are in the room together and in the midst of that you have an inspiring and heartbreaking story about at the end of the day what matters you can be fierce competitors. He coached against uh, Duke, he's over in Rutgers, coached against Duke and Coach K for 15 years. When he finishes his speech, Coach K is walking up and helping him go down the stairs with him. You know, these people that that fought against each other realize that there's something bigger than us that's worth fighting for. And if that's true uh, physically, that's true spiritually. That God's kingdom and God's work and God's community and God's work in the city and in our lives and in our families is bigger than oh I don't know all those people are following after them I think I'd rather them follow after me that little comparison game that doesn't lead anywhere. Am I seeking human approval or God's approval? When we set our roots down into that Spirit, that loving, joyful God's Spirit. It gets down past all that competition and jealousy and anger to that well of joy and love that will never run dry. And eventually it grows and it grows and it gives off fruit where you're that person who everybody just sees joy in and wants to share good news with and who experience God's love and joy through you. So let us put our focus on God and God's Spirit and not those around us as a comparison game. When those bad news comes your way, I hope people feel safe to bring it to you, because your joy, even in bad times, is a safe haven. And when good news comes, I pray that they'll want to celebrate it with you. Would you join me in prayer? God, each of us is here on a little bit of a different path that has converged in this moment. And Lord, I ask that you would help, help me, help us, put our gaze on you and the path you have in front of us and not how much I like or how much I dislike or how much I'm jealous of the path of the person next to me. Lord, I just ask that you would well up your joy. Lord, that the cynicism of our time might dissipate as we are hopeful and grounded in your presence and that when when good times or hard times come our way, we, we just respond identically, that it's just getting into your word and your presence and to prayer and to worship because you are worthy of all praise. Lord, thank you for the joy you've already given. Thank you for the joy that you will bring out today and tomorrow. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.